Chapter Fifteen of the Big Time by Fritz Leiber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Karen Savage. Chapter Fifteen. Black-legged spiders with red hearts of hell, Marquis. Lord Spider. Yezu. I turned and Sid's face was sticking through the screen like a tinted bas-relief hanging on a gray wall, and I got the impression he had peered unexpectedly through a slit in an arras into Queen Elizabeth's bedroom. He didn't have any time to linger on the sensation, even if he'd wanted to, for an elbow with a copper band thrust through the screen and dug his ribs, and Cabby marched Lily in by the neck. Eric, Mark, and Illy were right behind. They caught the blue flashes and stopped dead, staring at the long-lost. Eric spared me one look which seemed to say, "'So you did it. Not that it matters.' Then he stepped forward and picked it up, and held it solidly to his left side in the double right angle made by fingers, forearm, and chest, and reached for the introversion switch with a look on his face, as if he were opening a fifth of whiskey. The blue light died, and change winds hit me like a stiff drink that had been a long, long time in coming, like a hot trumpet note out of nowhere. I felt the changing pasts blowing through me, and the uncertainties whistling past, and ice-stiff reality softening with all its duties and necessities, and the little memories shredding away and dancing off like autumn leaves, leaving maybe not even ghosts behind, and all the crazy moods like Mardi Gras dancers pouring down an evening street, and something inside me had the nerve to say it didn't care whether Greta Forzane's death was riding in those winds, because they felt so good. I could tell it was hitting the others the same way. Even battered, tight-lipped Lily seemed to be saying, "'You're making me drink the stuff, and I hate you for it. But I do love it.' I guess we'd all had the worry that even finding and extroverting the Maintainer wouldn't put us back in touch with the cosmos and give us those winds we hate and love. The thing that cut through to us as we stood there glowing was not the thought of the bomb, though that would have come in a few seconds more, but Sid's voice— he was still standing in the screen, except that now his face was out the other side, and we could just see parts of his gray doubleted back, but of course his Yezu came through the screen as if it weren't there. At first I couldn't figure out who he could be talking to, but I swear I never heard his voice so courtly obsequious before, so strong and yet so filled with awe, and an undernote of, yes, sheer terror. Lord, I am filled from top to toe with confusion that you should so honour my poor place," he said. Poor say I and mine, when I mean that I have ever busked it faithfully for you, not dreaming that you would ever condescend, yet knowing that your eye was certes ever upon me, though I am but as a poor pinch of dust adrift between the suns, I abase myself. Prithee, how may I serve thee, sir? I know not e'en how most suitably to address thee, lord. King? Emperor, Spider?" I felt like I was getting very small, but not a bit less visible, worse luck, and even with the change-winds inside me to give me courage, I thought this was really too much coming on top of everything else. It was simply unfair. At the same time, I realized it was to be expected that the big bosses would have been watching us with their unblinking, beady black eyes ever since we had introverted, waiting to pounce if we should ever come out of it. I tried to picture what was on the other side of the screen, and I didn't like the assignment. But in spite of being petrified, I had a hard time not giggling, like the zany at graduation exercises, at the way the others in surgery were taking it. I mean the soldiers. 
They each stiffened up like they had the old ramrod inside them, and their faces got that important look, and they glanced at each other and the floor without lowering their heads, as if they were measuring the distance between their feet, and mentally checking alternate sets of footprints to step into. The way Eric and Cabby held the major and minor maintainers became formal. The way they checked their collars and nodded reassuringly was positively esoteric. Even Illy somehow managed to look as if he were on parade. Then from beyond the screen came what was, under the circumstances, the worst noise I've ever heard. A seemingly wordless, distant-sounding howling and wailing, with a note of menace that made me shake, although it also had a nasty familiarity about it I couldn't place. Sid's voice broke into it loud, fast, and frightened. "'Your pardon, Lord. I did not think—certs, the gravity. I'll attend to it on the instant.' He whipped a hand and half a head back through the screen, but without looking back, and snapped his fingers, and before I could blink, Cabby had put the minor maintainer in his hand. Sid went completely out of sight then, and the howling stopped, and I thought that if that was the way a Lord Spider expressed his annoyance at being subjected to incorrect gravity, I hoped the bosses wouldn't start any conversations with me. Eric pursed his lips and threw the other soldiers a nod, and the four of them marched through the screen as if they'd drilled a lifetime for this moment. I had the wild idea that Eric might give me his arm, but he strode past me as if I were... an entertainer. I hesitated a moment then, but I had to see what was happening outside, even if I got eaten up for it. Besides, I had a bit of the thought that if these formalities went on much longer, even a Lord Spider was going to discover just how immune he was to confined atomic blast. I walked through the screen with Lily beside me. The soldiers had stopped a few feet in front of it. I looked around ahead for whatever it was going to turn out to be, prepared to drop a curtsy or whatever else, bar nothing, that seemed expected of me. I had a hard time spotting the beast. Some of the others seemed to be having trouble, too. I saw Doc weaving around foolishly by the control divan, and Bruce and Beau and Sevensee and Maud on their feet beyond it, and I wondered whether we were dealing with an invisible monster. Ought to be easy enough for the bosses to turn a simple trick like invisibility. Then I looked sharply left, where everyone else, even glassy-eyed Doc, was coming to look, into the door sector, only there wasn't any monster there, or even a door, but just City holding the minor maintainer, and grinning like when he's threatening to tickle me, only more fiendishly. "'Not a move, masters,' he cried, his eyes dancing. "'Or I'll pin the pack of you down. Marry and amen, I will. It is my firm purpose to see the place blasted before I let this instrument out of my hands again.' My first thought was, "'Sblood, but City's a real actor. I don't care if he didn't study under anyone later than Burbage. That just proves how good Burbage is.' Sid had convinced us not only that the real spiders had arrived, but earlier that the gravity in the edge of stores had been a lot heavier than it actually was. He completely fooled all those soldiers, including my swelled-headed victorious little commandant, and I kind of filed away the timing of that business of reaching out the hand and snapping the fingers without looking. It was so good. "'Beauregard?' Sid called. "'Get to the major maintainer and called headquarters. But don't come through door, Mary. Go by refresher.' I'll not trust a single demon of you in this sector with me until much more has been shown and settled. 
"'City, you're wonderful,' I said, starting toward him. "'As soon as I got the maintainer unsnarled and looked around and saw your sweet old face—back, Trixie Trull! Not the breadth of one scarlet toenail nearer me, you queen of slights and high priestess of deception,' he bellowed. "'You least of all do I trust. Why you hid the maintainer I know not, Faith, but later you'll discover the truth to me, or I'll have your gizzard.' I could see there was going to have to be a little explaining. Doc, touched off, I guess, by Sid waving his hand at me, threw back his head and let off one of those shuddery Siberian wolf howls he does so blamed well. Sid waved toward him sharply and he shut up, beaming toothily, but at least I knew who was responsible for the spider wail of displeasure that Sid had either called for, or more likely, got as a gift of the gods and used in his act. Bo came circling around fast, and Eric shoved the major maintainer into his hands without making any fuss. The four soldiers were looking pretty glum after losing their grand review. Bo dumped some junk off one of the art gallery's sturdy tabarets, and set the major maintainer on it carefully but fast, and quickly knelt in front of it and whipped on some earphones and started to tune. The way he did it snatched away from me my inward glory at my big inversion brainwave so fast I might never have had it, and there was nothing in my mind again but the bronze bomb-chest. I wondered if I should suggest inverting the thing, but I said to myself, "'Uh-uh, Greta, you got no diploma to show them, and there probably isn't time to try two things anyway.' Then Eric for once did something I wanted him to though I didn't care for its effect on my nerves, by looking at his collar and saying quietly, Nine minutes to go, if place-time and cosmic-time are sinking. Bo was steady as a rock and working adjustments so fine that I couldn't even see his fingers move. Then, at the other end of the place, Bruce took a few steps toward us. Seven C and Maud followed a bit behind him. I remembered Bruce was another of our nuts with a private program for blowing up the place. Sydney he called, and then, when he'd got Sid's attention, "'Remember, Sidney, you and I both came down to London from Peterhouse.' I didn't get it. Then Bruce looked toward Eric with a devil-may-care challenge, and toward Lily, as if he were asking her forgiveness for something. I couldn't read her expression. The bruises were blue on her throat, and her cheek was puffy. Then Bruce once more shot Eric that look of challenge, and he spun and grabbed Sevensy by a wrist and stuck out a foot— even half-horses aren't too sharp about infighting, I guess, and the satyr had every right to feel at least as confused as I felt, and sent him stumbling into Maud, and the two of them tumbled to the floor in a jumble of hairy legs and pearl-gray frock. Bruce raced to the bomb-chest. Most of us yelled, "'Stop him, Sid! Pin him down!' or something like that. I know I did, because I was suddenly sure that he'd been asking Lily's pardon for blowing the two of them up, and all the rest of us, too, the love-blinded stinker." Sid had been watching him all the time, and now he lifted his hand to the minor maintainer. But then he didn't touch any of the dials, just watched and waited, and I thought, Shaitan, save us! Does Sidy want in on death, too? Ain't he satisfied with all he knows about life?' Bruce had knelt, and was twisting some things on the front of the chest, and it was all as bright as if he were under a bank of cleek lights and I was telling myself I wouldn't know anything when the fireball fired, and not believing it, and Sevensee and Maud had got unscrambled and were starting for Bruce, and the rest of us were yelling at Sid, except that Eric was just looking at Bruce very happily, and Sid was still not doing anything, and it was unbearable, except just then I felt the little arteries start to burst in my brain like a string of firecrackers, and the old aorta pop, 
and for good measure a couple of valves come unhinged in my ticker, and I was thinking, well, now I know what it's like to die of heart failure and high blood pressure, and having a last quiet smile at having cheated the bomb, when Bruce jumped up and back from the chest. That does it, he announced cheerily. She's as safe as the Bank of England. Sevensee and Maud stopped themselves just short of knocking him down, and I said to myself, Hey, let's get a move on. I thought heart attacks were fast. Before anyone else could speak, Beau did. He had turned around from the major maintainer and pulled aside one of the earphones. I got headquarters, he said crisply. They told me how to disarm the bomb. I merely said I thought we ought to know. What did you do, sir? he called to Bruce. There's a row of four anks just below the lock. The first to your left, you give a quarter turn to the right, the second a quarter turn to the left, same for the fourth, and you don't touch the third. That is it, sir, Beau confirmed. The long silence was too much for me. I guess I must have the shortest span for unspoken relief going. I drew some nourishment out of my restored arteries into my brain cells and yelled, City! I know I'm a tricksy trull and the high vixen of all foxes, but what the hell is Peterhouse? The oldest college at Cambridge, he told me rather coolly. End of chapter 15